from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Wine brings people together. Yes. I'm a big fan of that myself. But I gotta say, there's some really strong opinions about Missouri <laughs> wine. You were gonna say that. The people who say maybe Missouri wine has this historic thing, but this is not good wine by today's standards. So I would say the people who are saying that probably have not been out to Missouri wine country recently. I'm Sarah Fetsky. This past spring, Kat Neville dropped a bombshell. She was leaving Feast, the food magazine she'd founded 11 years earlier. She had been the magazine's publisher for its entire run. And not just that, she was leaving print journalism entirely, 20 years after she and her then-partner launched Sauce Magazine out of their St. Louis apartment. Kat Neville's new job is chief curator at the Herman Farm and Museum, and she also continues to work on Tastemakers, the PBS series she launched in 2018. And she joins us today to talk about both of those things. So Kat Neville, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so thrilled to be here. So Kat, I was one of those people who was really surprised to hear <laughs> that you were leaving Feast. What, what made you decide to leave this magazine that you started? Well, I mean, it wasn't something that I had planned. It was an opportunity that really kind of came out of the blue. And after some soul searching, I was like, what do I want my days to look like? My um, my partner, Jen, she always says, design your days. And, you know, that's really what I was looking at is, you know, what is the next phase of my life, my career? And where does my heart really take me? And um, I love publishing. I have been just so grateful to have those 20 plus years um, being able to be in print journalism. But but really, once I started doing the television work, I really started to understand what made my heart sing, and that was being in the field and being connected to people directly. And, you know, when you're the publisher and the editor of a magazine, a lot of the work is behind a computer. Mm-hmm. And I want to put my boots on and be out with, you know, directly working with people. Yeah, I mean, you were so focused on the business side of that Mm -hmm. publication. And, you know, you'd always been a writer, but in recent years, you didn't even have much time for writing anymore. No, I mean, that's the role of the publisher is to make sure that the business side of the magazine is healthy. And, and I enjoyed that part of it. But um, when the Deerbergs came to me and said, we want you to join us out here on the farm, I I just was like, I'd be a crazy person to say no. I mean, there's such an opportunity to, uh, because it is an educational foundation, it's a nonprofit, the Deerberg Educational Foundation, and at the heart of that is truly education around farming and rural traditions. And so for me, the opportunity is to take the work that I've done in food publishing and really kind of... Um, like deepen those threads and those connections through, uh, you know, conferences and events and classes and ways to help elevate and change the conversation about food and farming in our region, not just here in St. Louis, but across Missouri, across the Midwest. Uh, Because one of the things that I really came to understand with Tastemakers, um, because I, that is a nationwide show and I was Mm -hmm. crisscrossing the country you know, doing all these episodes. And 
you know, what I saw was that there was a lot more kind of infrastructure in other parts of the country that uh, were there to support the success of small makers and small farmers and artisans. And agritourism was more of a focus. And so I really think that there's tremendous opportunity, uh, you know, with this farm, you know, with the the intention of the Deerberg Educational Foundation to, um, to really help to support that type of success here. You talk about the infrastructure that's in place in other parts of the country. In, in these farming regions. What is it we don't have here? I mean, it really, it is a lot of, of those opportunities to create connection. Mm. I mean, you can have classes, you can you can have events and things like that, but so much, and what, one of the things that I've been doing is I've been talking to people in the industry, because I would never presume to say that I know what should, what would help elevate the conversation with distilleries or with farming or whatever. So I'm talking to people who are stakeholders in those different areas of, um, of food and farming in our region and asking them, how can we partner with you? How can mm-hmm. we leverage what we have here on the farm to benefit the region um, and bring revenue and attention and people? Um, and so we're kind of at the beginning of those conversations, but it's really exciting because everyone wants to like be part of it. Mm-hmm. And um, especially because of where Herman is located, it you know it, it's a little bit more central. And so it makes it so that it's this wonderful place where everybody can come and, and gather. And so we're going to be um, introducing uh, some of that in the next few months. And the idea is get people who are in St. Louis to go to Herman. Yes. So, I mean, I'm talking, what we just talked about was more on the professional side. But, you know, I mean, Herman is a tourist town, mm-hmm. and it you know fills up with people who are excited to try wine and spirits and explore history on the weekends. And you know, I I fell in love with Missouri wine country years and years and years ago. And like even back when I was at Sauce, um, you know, we would have Missouri wine issues. It's something that I've always just really been attracted to. And I feel sometimes like. Uh, what I feel like part of my role is is just to kind of like bring people out there to to see what's happening in rural Missouri, to taste the the wines and the beers and the spirits that that these craftspeople are are creating, and just kind of use that as a way at you know to connect the region because um, you know I we you and I were talking about this earlier, you know so much of of what. Uh, what I think is missing in, in our conversation today is what we have in common. And I feel like we can find commonality in places like Herman. So the wine, wine brings people together. Yes. I'm a big fan of that myself. But I got to say, there's some really strong opinions about Missouri <laughs> wine. you were going to say that. And I guess I'm curious if you think those opinions are warranted. The people who say maybe Missouri wine has this historic thing, um, that this was important back in the day, but this is not good wine by today's standards. So I would say the people who are saying that probably have not been out to Missouri wine country recently. Um, Number one, uh, there's good and bad wine made everywhere. Sure. First of all. And I think that the Missouri wine industry would agree that um, that maybe 20 years ago, it was not anywhere close to where it is now in terms of the quality of what um, of what the, the wineries are producing. 
I'm actually judging the Missouri wine competition next week. And so like we're going to be tasting 256 Missouri made wines and that I've been judging. I can't remember how long now, six years, seven years, something like that. And that experience has really drawn me closer to the industry. And one of the uh, one of the biggest hurdles for Missouri wine is the fact that the types of grapes that grow are not the vinifera, the European grape varietals that most people are super familiar with, like mm-hmm. the Cabernet Sauvignons and the Chardonnays of the world. Um, the grapes that grow well here, because we have high humidity, we have really harsh... Um, Springs. It's not even just that it gets super cold. It's that kind of like this spring where we had a little bit of like, you know, warm weather and then a super hard cold snap. Mm-hmm. So the danger of that is that you have bud break. And so once the buds come out, when they think that it's spring and they're coming out and they're all excited and then you have this cold snap, then that uh, that initial growth, it freezes and it kills the those initial growth. And so anyway, the vinifera is not as well suited to those types of swings. Um, as the the type of grapes, the hybrid grapes that grow well in Missouri. Takes a special kind of grape to succeed here. But that's not really your question. Um, But your question is, is Missouri wine actually great? And what I would say is come out to Missouri wine country and taste it because it's all different. And that's the wonderful thing about wine is that it's very um, specific to the way that the grapes were treated in the vineyard. It's specific to the way that the winemaker decides to vinify um, those grapes. And so, yes, there are a lot of sweet wines that are still available, um, but I would highly recommend going out and trying the dry wines that are on the list. Norton is our state grape, and it is beloved. Um, but I think that my favorite red is the Chamberson variety. And on the white side, my favorite is the Vignole. Um, if you like a dry Riesling with kind of that pineapple, mango, not sweet, but fruity and really good acidity, Vignole is the way to go. So these are some good wine recommendations. I actually just <laughs> made a little note here. This is what Kat Neville says I should be drinking. And when Kat tells you what to drink, you should listen. She really knows her stuff. I want to mention, too, just the historical historic aspect of this, yes. because this is a big part of the Herman Farman Museum. Yes, it is. That this man, uh, George uh, Hoosman, H- Hoosman yes. um, he played a key role in the development not just of the Missouri wine industry, but of the California wine industry. And, and he was on site there at, at the Herman Farm. Yes. So um, his family moved to Herman in 1839. Uh, the first German settlers came in 1837. So they were kind of like on the second wave. And he... Um, it's a it's a long story, so I won't go too far into it, but his home is the centerpiece of the farm. And he, along with his sister's husband, Charles Tubner, um, got into the into the vineyard business, the nursery business, grape growing business, and winemaking. And so George Hoosman, um, he is considered the father, quote unquote, of Missouri viticulture. And he was one of the founding members of the Missouri Department of Agriculture. He published uh, a number of things, including the Grape Culturist. Um, and then you've heard Heard, of course, that Missouri saved the French wine industry from devastation in the late 1800s. And I have heard this. Is this story true? It is true. <laughs> I'm here to tell you it is true. <laughs> um, so there's this little louse called the phylloxera bug, and uh, Native American grapevines are naturally resistant to this louse because they evolved in tandem with this bug. So they, I mean, sometimes they have an impact, but usually they're resistant. And uh, so 
during the transatlantic trade of goods, kind of like what we have now with like non, you know, native species hitching a ride, same kind of a thing, the phylloxera bug went over to Europe mm-hmm. and subsequently started infesting European and French um, vineyards. Nobody really knew what was going on. Nobody understood why uh, these, these vines were dying. It wasn't George Hussman who figured out that it was the phylloxera louse, but because he had this nursery and a, a big part of his stock and trade was grapevines and root cuttings, he sent millions from Herman over to France, and those were grafted onto the French vines. And so the, truly, those millions of, of Native American uh, rootstocks from Herman helped save the French wine industry. So his home is the centerpiece of, of the farm that we're working on today. And is that a story that you're telling there on site? If, if somebody's uh, interested in wine, they can go there and, and see this and learn more about this. Yes. Yeah, so they, we have tours uh, on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays uh, where you can. It's a it's a guided tram tour. It's like two hours. And uh, Susan Nichols, who leads the, the majority of the tours, like her grandfather was one of the second or third so I think maybe the second boy, uh, German boy, who was born in Herman. So not grandfather, great, great, great grandfather. Great, 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 great. Yes, yeah. many greats. Um, so her her history there is is long and deep, and so she helps lead those tours. And so this this story of George Hussman is definitely part of it. Um, but as curator, one of my tasks is is kind of building, um, putting some more flesh on those bones. Uh, the the tour is amazing, and the the farm itself is impeccably restored with uh, period antiques. And it's really, really interesting. But what um, what we're talking about doing is um, is doing more of a true uh, museum style uh, exhibition that shows more deeply what uh, George Hussman was doing, photos of him. I actually have one of his 19th century rootstocks in my office. Um, wow. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty cool. And so we want to, to build more of that story so that people connect with it more deeply. Uh, and then, I mean, just it, it, it's really when you start to really understand the impact that Herman had on um, on American winemaking, the world world's winemaking, uh, it really it kind of it makes you understand how important Missouri generally has been in kind of the the history of, of winemaking, which is a huge industry nationally. And you mentioned that that Hoosman ended up in California. And that's true. He. Um, I think it was in the 1880s, went to, he was uh, offered a position in Napa. And so he went out to Napa and helped to establish that wine industry as well. And he and his wife are buried in Napa. Hmm. What a story. And all so close to us right here in the town of Herman. We're talking today to Kat Neville. Um, She is the chief curator at Herman Farm and Museum, just took that job this spring after more than 20 years of working in food journalism here in St. Louis, founded Feast, co-founded Sauce. She's also the host and producer of Tastemakers. That's gearing up for another season on PBS. And we're going to talk about that when we come back after the break. Uh, We'll be back here with Kat. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. 
And now back to our conversation. We're talking today to Kat Neville. Um, She is the former publisher and founder of Feast Magazine. She's also the host and producer of the PBS show Tastemakers and the chief curator at Herman Farman Museum. And we've been talking a lot about the farm. We're going to get back to that in a bit. But Kat, I got to say, the reason that we invited you to come on here is that you were nominated for an Emmy. This is not a local Emmy. This is a national Emmy. This is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And I uh, I, I was kind of shocked uh, when I got that nomination. I, in fact, I, I was not expecting it. And I had just uh, been over at Still 630 talking with Dave about the spirits industry. And I come home and I'm about to jump in my car. We're going out to Eckert's to talk about orchards. And I get this text from my station relations manager. And she was like, congratulations on the Emmy nomination. I was like, what in the world are you talking about? And she's like, no, I'm pretty sure I read the list and you're you're on there. And so I checked and, and there I you was are. on there. I couldn't believe it. Best culinary <laughs> series. I mean, you're up against some huge names in this. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that is just so uh, humbling, amazing, is like people who I deeply admire for the quality of their work. And, and you know, like Patty Jenich, you know, I mean, she's one person who I think is is – an icon in being able to tell really deep and meaningful stories about food. Because what interests me about food storytelling is not just kind of the surface. Yeah, like I want to, I want to dig into the culture, the meaning, the the stories of the people, and and how they do what they do. And she does that really well. So, being up, you know, next to her and Lydia Bastianich and Ina Garten, I was just like, oh. Wow. <laughs> this is huge. And yeah. so you find out if you won in, in a couple weeks? Yes, uh, July 18th. So have you just been thinking about this nonstop? It's so hard not to, like, lie awake. What if I uh, win? Oh, Sarah, that's, I mean, I don't, I mean, if I win, that would be. Un- It'd be huge. Yeah, it would be huge. Probably not going to happen. But, but hey, <laughs> it's an honor just to be nominated <laughs> Absolutely. in this case. Absolutely. Oh, my really gosh. Is. I mean, here's the thing is, you know, Tastemakers is, uh, compared to these other you know, productions, it's much, much smaller. I mean, it's, I might, I have to give a shout out to Tybee Studios, my production partners, um, Chris Reuter, he was with me through the majority of Feast TV, did a lot of work with me. And I remember like right when the opportunity to launch Tastemakers came about, uh, you know, I was like, you feel like going on this you know, crazy journey with me? Do you want to start like filming across the country? It's like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, you know, and so we started, first thing was doing a pilot with Gary from Woodhat. See, the spirits thing is like following me uh-huh. throughout. Um, and so that was the pilot. And it was uh, picked up by American Public Television, which is the uh, distributor of the content. And of course, Nine Network is the presenting station. And we got our funding and we started moving. And yeah, so we produced uh, two seasons, 13 episodes, each so um it's and it's the second season that's up for the emmy so that is just crazy and so you have i mean you had uh, 170 different media markets picked this show up and this includes everyone in the top 30 there was some big success for this show and then the pandemic hit yes yeah i mean just like (laughs) so much it derailed a lot i mean i have to say I don't think I would be sitting here talking to you about my work at Herman Farm if the pandemic hadn't happened. It's one of those things where you're kind of like, 
sometimes you need to be able to take a breath and, you know, and there's the, the good and the bad. Yeah. Um, so it is disappointing that the the funding for the show was kind of derailed um, during the pandemic, but there's tremendous, you know, interest in bringing it back. I mean, the stations are like, would you please, would you please bring it back? So the stations want this back. What will it take to start filming that third season? Funding. Um, so, and that's the thing about public media is that um, especially these types of shows that are not necessarily the core PBS, like the front lines and things like that, um, everything is independently funded. And so it's up to the producers to go out and and get those dollars. And so I have some, you know, really significant irons in the fire. So I anticipate uh, being back on the road shooting um, toward the end of this year. And so I'm very hopeful that I'll be able to get um, some new content out in the spring. It takes a while, unlike you know, something that is designed for like YouTube or or a, just a strictly digital platform. There's a a lot that has to happen to get it on television. So even I bet, I, yeah. yeah. So even if I finish the content, you know, within a certain time frame, there still is a lot kind of from the infrastructure of PBS that has to happen to get it on air. But it is it is in the works. It okay, is you feel very hopeful. This is oh, going to happen. Absolutely, people love the show, and I think that what I hear I, I hear from people across the country who just email me and just they tell me how much they enjoy this type of storytelling around food. And and it's because, you know, when I'm telling the story of these makers, quote unquote, you know, that's what I'm really attracted to. As much as I love the art of what chefs are doing, it's the craft of what makers do and the fact that, you know, maybe you're a cheesemaker and you make cheese day in and day out and you're tending your sheep like Green Dirt Farm in, you know, out near Kansas City, um, you know, and but it's that it's that doing the same thing over and over and always looking for perfection. And I'm really drawn to that type of a story and, and, and that type of a person. And so that's why tastemakers really kind of went in that direction. Also, you know, these products are the foundation of what makes American food so great. And they're so regional. And that's mm-hmm. what also I wanted to get across with tastemakers was not just here's a great cheesemaker, let's talk about this cheese, but let's show the environment where they are. Because I mean, if, if you've had the opportunity to travel the country, the environment and and just the the local culture is vastly different from the Pacific Northwest to Southern Florida, from Maine to Hawaii to Texas. I mean, and that's what makes it so exciting to be able to travel across the U.S. So I really feel like Tastemakers was part food show and also part travel show because you kind of go along with us as we're traveling. Absolutely. I can I can see that having yeah. watched it. Like this is a chance to see people in the country doing interesting things mm-hmm. and seeing where they're doing it. It almost fits so neatly with your new role in Herman. It's almost like you you designed this whole thing and I had know. this elaborate 20-year plan. And that is let's not just what happened here. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's just say that that's the truth. No, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a part of what, uh, you know, when when this role was offered to me by, by the Deerbergs, I, like I said, I, I really did some soul searching because, I mean, leaving Feast and leaving publishing, it's something that I've done the majority of my career. Um, 
you know, that felt like, uh, wait, no, I can't possibly do that. But then mm-hmm. when I really thought about what it would mean for me to be able to weave myself into the fabric of a place and be part of the seasonality and be part of the production and by extension, be able to, you know, broaden my connections with our region's makers and farmers and chefs because of the role of the Educational Foundation, it just felt like the perfect next step for me, um, for personally and professionally. Like I, I'm, I, I just, I big grin on my face when I'm driving, you know, uh, Highway 100 out to Herman in these rolling hills. I don't care what the weather's like. It's gorgeous every mm-hmm. time. And the people who I'm able to collaborate with um, out there uh, in Herman are, they're so dedicated to what they do and they fundamentally love the role that they're playing on the farm side in in telling the story of the history of Herman. But then on the product side, Derek, who's our distillery at Blackshire Distillery, his dad is the winemaker for Herman Hoff. And his dad has been the winemaker for Herman Hoff, Paul, for 40 years. Mm. So Derek grew up in, you know, in the cellars at Herman Hoff. And he went to Mizzou, got a viticulture degree. And now, you know, he's, you know, essentially working side by side with his dad right there, um, you know, making these spirits. And, and also he's the brewer at Tin Mill Brewery. So it's this very interconnected um, web of people, and I, I just love being part of that. So it's such a good story, and our time today has just flown. You've got so <laughs> much going on. But in our final minute here, I guess for people who are St. Louisans and they've never really thought about exploring the area around St. Louis, yes. they, they go to Florida for vacation, um, give us just the, the short sales pitch on why go to Herman, why check out this farm. Why go to Herman is it's absolutely beautiful, and it's fun. I mean, it's... It, it's it's the middle of wine country. You can uh, you know meet up with people who who are just woven into the community. Do some wine tastings. Join us for dinner. Stay at the Inn at Hermanhof. It's absolutely you know it, it's on the hill overlooking the Missouri River. Um, but truly, it's a way to celebrate what makes this region this region, like the the kind of the cultural beginnings of um, of the of the wine industry truly are in Herman. We were one of the world's largest wine making regions before prohibition. And Stonehill, um, which is right there in Herman, was I believe it's the number two winemaker before prohibition in terms of volume of production. So I mean this isn't just kind of a oh hey we make some wine, come out and join us. This is a uh, a tremendously deep part of the history History of Missouri. And um, so if you're a history lover, a wine lover, a spirits lover, I mean, it, it's great. And then as far as the farm goes, I, I mentioned that we have um, guided tram tours on the weekends. But we also have some self-guided tours where if you're just coming on a Wednesday or a Tuesday, um, pop by and you can uh, see some of the really beautifully restored buildings that are there. And you can also stop by for a tasting and have some of our bourbon. Well, that is unsurprisingly <laughs> a great sales pitch. So Kat Neville, thank you so much for oh joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. It's great and, to see and you. And congratulations again on thank the Emmy nomination. Thank you. We're going to be rooting for you to win. Thank you. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. 
St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.